0: Other side at midnight. Local Spotlight. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. By now, you have probably heard that a grand jury has indicted former Marine Daniel Penny for the supposed chokehold killing of Jordan Neely during a subway confrontation. This decision made just yesterday, made by a group of jurors sitting in Manhattan, arrives weeks after Neely's caught-on-camera death sparked a national firestorm over Penny his actions, and intense scrutiny of the floundering mental health system that failed to help this victim. Now, I haven't watched the video. I didn't serve on the grand jury. I can't evaluate the evidence, but I want to say two things about this case. One, I don't believe that Penny is going to be convicted at trial. I am a little surprised that he was indicted to begin with, but the threshold of evidence for a grand jury to indict someone is fairly low, and it doesn't have to be unanimous. It just has to be a majority. I cannot see 12 New Yorkers, 12 Manhattanites who know what it's like to ride the subway, and be approached by someone who's clearly mentally ill, talking about killing people, saying they don't care if they go to jail. I cannot see 12 jurors convicting this person. So that's the one thing. The other thing that I'm afraid of with this indictment is that if you're a good Samaritan and you see someone on a subway threatening other passengers and potentially causing a dangerous situation, threatening others, saying they don't care if they go to prison forever. I'm a little concerned that this might cause the next Good Samaritan not to intervene. We rely on Good Samaritans to do the right thing. We rely on passers-by to help strangers when it looks like they need help. I'm not going to judge, because I didn't watch the video and I don't know the evidence, I'm not going to judge whether Mr. Penny went went too far or not, but I will say that if I was on this train, I want someone like Daniel Penny on there. And my concern is with people reading about this indictment and seeing this Marine's name dragged through the mud, my concern is that in the future people are going to be a little less likely to help. I hope I'm wrong. To be continued. The other side of midnight. 77 <WC4> Local spotlight. Go! Everyone, This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. We've been talking all week about the sudden departure of New York City's Police Commissioner Keeshan Sewell after not even 18 months on the job. And this is yet another high-profile departure for Eric Adams and the Adams administration. Last month, the mayor's chief housing officer, Jessica Katz, announced her resignation. In February, the city's social security Services Commissioner Gary Jenkins resigned. And Keech and Sewell is just the latest. Now these departures have hit the Adams administration in areas where the city is facing its most pressing concerns. Crime, housing, homelessness, and they're hardly alone. Adams already lost his first deputy mayor, his chief of staff, his building commissioner, and by the end of summer Adams' chief counsel, communications director, and chief efficiency officer are also planning to step down. Most of the reasons that these people are leaving vary but a lot of police officials and a lot of city hall officials close to Commissioner Sewell said she was undermined by Philip Banks, the deputy mayor for public safety, who a lot of people was acting as sort of a shadow police commissioner. I don't know what the deal is in the Adams administration, and I know that when you have high-profile jobs like the ones that I just mentioned, it's stressful and there's a high burnout rate. That's true in the White House as well, and no White House had more turnover and more turmoil than the Trump White House, that's for sure. But this is unusual. To see this many talented, qualified, intelligent, and ambitious people leaving These high profile jobs at a time when they're needed most, it tells you that there's something wrong with the management in the Adams administration. Adams was asked if he was a micromanager. He gave sort of a weird answer yesterday where he said no, but then based on the answer he gave, it was clear that he was. The mayor needs to get in the habit of choosing the best people who know how to run these agencies and then let them do their job. You're the mayor. Your job is to hire the police commissioner, not be the police commissioner. Same thing with every other job that I just mentioned. Mr. Mayor, get this ship going on the right direction. New York's counting on you. Beam me up to be continued the other side of midnight local spotlight well good news for car owners that have some pride in their region of the state car owners in New York can now represent their slice of the empire state on their license plate Albany's Department of Motor Vehicles unveiled a new line of custom license plate Monday that showcased 10 different regions of the state. Instead of the current plates that jam attractions from Niagara Falls to Montauk into one backdrop, the plate for New York City featured a view of Lower Manhattan with Lady Liberty in the foreground, while residents in other locales could opt to show off scenes that represents the Adirondack Mountains or the Hudson Valley. Other plates feature logos of things like New Yorker's favorite sports teams, fraternities, sororities, professional organizations, military affiliations are even available. And drivers who order the new license plates should be aware that the state will not allow any vulgar vanity plates. I became aware of this because my wife, who's from Long Island, sent me an email saying, uh, how would you feel if we bought one of these license plates? And it's a picture of a Long Island license plate. And I said the truth, which is, you know, I'm a proud New York City resident, proud New York boy. But uh, if you want to get that for our car, honey, because we share a card now. Go ahead and be my guest. I don't care. This was her car first. And if that would make her happy to take a little piece of Long Island home with her, then so be it. Also, Long Islanders are notoriously poor drivers, and so am I. So if I have now a Long Island license plate, people that I encounter in the five boroughs of New York City won't wonder, hey, why is that guy such a bad driver? They'll simply say, oh, he's a Long Islander. That makes sense now. But I'd love to get one of these plates. I'd love to get one of these plates representing the New York City region. So if my wife doesn't kind of twist my arm into getting a Long Island plate, then that's what I'm going to move to do. But you can uh, check out these plates on the website. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a great idea to raise money. I think it's a great idea to show pride in your region of the state. Beam me up. To be continued. Other side of midnight. 77. WNC. Local spotlight. CNN and its parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery, are still reeling from the firing of CEO Chris Licht recently, and now they're facing a new high stakes drama. You see, later this month, the company will begin arbitration with former host Chris Cuomo over his $125 million claim he was wrongfully fired in 2021. The New York proceeding includes previously undisclosed SMS text messages in which CNN's parent company sought to use the news network's close relationship with then-New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Chris's brother, to advance Warners commercial interest. Warner, again, is the parent company. The September 22nd, 2020 texts are between Governor Cuomo and CNN's then-chief marketing officer, Allison Golist. She had left his office years earlier for CNN, but kept in frequent touch, helping to arrange appearances on CNN shows and smoothing over bumps when the governor was double-booked on other networks. And while Golist was assisting the network's programming side, that day she crossed over into advocating for the business interest of CNN's parent company, texting a request that the governor speak to Warner Media's studio chief. This is what she said. She's bummed you don't open theaters in New York, but perhaps you can hear her out. That text was read to semaphore by a person with firsthand access to this exchange. The next day, Cuomo heeded Golas' request and called this person who lobbied the governor to loosen restrictions on movie theaters according to a person familiar with the exchange. Understand what went on here. Even though this exchange feels like ancient history, this undermines some of what the key players have claimed about the CNN scandals of 2021, namely that uh, Zucker and Golist were too close to Andrew Cuomo. It's hard to square that shock with their using the relationship to lobby him, and that exchange could help illustrate a point that Chris Cuomo's legal team has made. The close ties between the governor and the network in the first few months of COVID COVID extended far beyond the relationship between Andrew and Chris. But what what I find alarming about this is CNN is supposed to be covering Andrew Cuomo as a newsmaker, as one of the most important people in the country at that time, maybe even the world. They're supposed to be covering him objectively and critically. Can they really be doing that if Their very staffers, while they're getting paid by CNN, are lobbying the governor to do what they want. I think not. You wonder how often this goes on in media. The cozy relationship between news networks and the politicians they cover. I think this is a pretty damning indictment. Beam me up. To be continued.